So for me, it was, it's been, honestly, it's been a four, four and a half year journey now um, with solid intention around figuring out this thing called culture. What's shaking? Welcome back to All In. I'm your host, Rick Jordan. Today, we've got an amazing show coming up. And before we dive in, I'm going to ask you to share this with at least three people today. You're listening, and I'm asking for your help. That's how we impact more people because we don't promote, we don't advertise. The only way we touch more hearts is if you share this out with as many people as possible. And today, they're going to want to listen because this dude is the founder and CEO of Ugly Mug Marketing. After walking his way away from his corporate job, and he's the author of three books, one is coming out very shortly here called Full Circle Marketing and he's an active blogger with a following of over 250,000. Dude's got testimonials from Chris Voss, from Cameron Harold. I mean, it's just incredible. Wayne Mullins, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much, Rick. I'm looking forward to our chat today. Yeah, me too. I love the balloons that are behind you. I know we we were talking, those are real. They're so awesome. If you're listening to this, just go onto YouTube real quick and see those things, you know, and then come back to Apple Podcasts, whatever you're on. But dude, Ugly Mug Marketing, 2009 is when you started that, right? 2009, it's been uh, almost 13 years of... um, a roller coaster, I guess, entrepreneurial roller coaster, as Darren Hardy would call it. <laughs> that, that roller coaster has a lot of ups and downs and lefts and rights. It's just, it's almost like uh, if you've ever ridden Space Mountain at Disney World or Disneyland. Yeah. I have, yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's like that. You feel like the entrepreneurial roller coaster is in pitch black because you can, there's some turns you're just never going to see coming. That, that that would perfectly describe my journey for sure. I don't know about others, but that, that describes mine. Yeah, it was probably unexpected with your whole corporate job walkout too, right? Tell me about that, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the backstory before the corporate job was, um, for whatever reason, my junior year of college, my parents gave me some CDs. Yes, I'm CD age uh, from this gentleman of the me name too. Zig Ziglar. Good. <laughs> yeah. And Zig Ziglar on those CDs sold me on the profession of selling. And so at that point in my, my you know, education, I decided I wanted to go into selling. So graduated got a job in sales um, and transitioned that sales job into a corporate advertising sales job. I spent right at three years in that role, uh, went from being terrible to actually really good at selling, selling outdoor advertising is what I did. And Rick, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I, I started noticing the amount of revenue that I was generating for the company. And then I looked at my paycheck and there was this huge gap between those two numbers. My paycheck was way down here. The amount of revenue I was bringing in every month for the company was this huge number that kept growing and growing and growing. Yeah. And this dangerous thought pops in my head. What if I left this job and actually sold something for myself? What, what could I do? What would be possible if I did that? And that was the beginning of the end of my corporate life. Um, you know, I, I sat down and made a list of all the skills that I have available to me that I could possibly scale, sell. And that list consisted of lawn and landscape. 
that was it at that point. <laughs> that's, that was all in your, that's all you thought you could sell? <laughs> that, yeah, in terms of for myself, products or services that, that I owned or could control, that was it. I knew I could sell. Uh, I knew I could do lawn care, landscaping. And so I decided much to the dismay of a lot of my family members, my parents uh, included in that list, to walk away from this really great corporate job, you know, Monday through Friday, eight to five, and start from scratch building a lawn and landscape company. So when you looked at this list, was this something that you were trying to figure out that you could also fulfill the service or product to? Was that a criteria of yours? Yeah, it was really just anything that that I could own or control, right? Got so you. before I was taking my sales skills, my abilities and making a lot of money for the company I worked for, which again, nothing wrong with that. That's the way a lot of business works, right? You know, there there's uh, trade-offs in any relationship yeah. like that. What did that company do? You don't have to mention the name, but what did they what did they do? What was their product or service? Yeah, it was outdoor advertising, so billboards. Gotcha. We sold oh, billboards. That's what you're saying. Okay, yeah, nationally. gotcha. Cool. So digital media. Well, I guess back then in CD time periods, there was no digital real media that existed at that point. No, the, the digital billboards that you see, you know, around and that are common in most cities now didn't exist then uh, other than maybe, you know, Times Square, New York, they yeah. didn't exist. It was all the old, old school billboards. Man, I remember watching people put those things up too. This is an aside, you know, but watching how they would string those things around and then ones that were unsold for a while, they would have, that was so much work for them to pull it down and put the phone number back up there, you know, call for advertising or whatever it was. But interesting, man. How, how was that? Can we dive into that and then continue? Because you were obviously pretty good at selling those, right? So I, I started out terrible, Rick. I started out, I was awful. Um, I thought I could sell. I quickly learned that I couldn't sell as good as I thought I could. Um, but over the course of that three-year period, if nothing else, I was a student of selling. I mean, I was devouring books. I was listening to, again, dating myself, CDs on selling. Yeah. I was you mess up at the beginning with sales? What, what, was, your, what was your pitch? Was it like, please do this because I need to make money? <laughs> Yeah, it's a I joke, think, man. It's okay to laugh. It's all good. No, no, no. I, I think the big mess up for me really was um, that I was approaching it as selling the thing. So in other words, selling the billboard versus the end result that that billboard could produce. Boom. So yeah, that, that was the biggest mistake I was making. Yeah. You were focusing on, and they'll get <laughs> salespeople I've seen will get, will dive into that spiral of like featureness, right? And they'll, they'll start listening to like, hey, these are all the things that this thing has to offer. And it's like, well, whoopty fricking do, you know, what's it going to do for me in the end? Yeah, no, that, that's it. You know, in that space, you're talking about, you know, the drive-by count, the number of eyeballs that are going to see the sign every day. And you, you get in that whole cycle and you lose sight of the end result that they're after. Why do they want a billboard to begin with? What's the reason behind that? You know, is it more revenue, more people booking a place to stay, you know, more people pulling in, driving through, whatever it may be? Yeah. That's interesting. I appreciate that perspective, man. How did that transition then into what you were doing after that in the landscape company? Because you did yeah, do so the landscape company, right? You started it. You were yeah, yeah. Started that. Uh, started it from scratch. So you know, I knew that I was walking away from my job, the corporate job. I went in to resign. Um, they asked me if I would stay a bit longer than I anticipated, and so the timing of it, I, I knew it was springtime. So I really need to be out selling the other business, selling my services for the future business I was starting. Seasonal. So I would, 
Yeah, I would spend the the evenings and weekends going door to door, uh, calling on business owners, calling on you know homeowners, asking for their business. Um, and I remember the first business owner that responded favorably. He said, "Yes, you can have my account, but the the grounds have to be maintained tomorrow morning. If they're not done tomorrow morning." I'm calling someone else. They're going to take care of it. The problem was I still had my corporate job. I still had to be at work at eight o'clock the next morning. So I pull up the next morning, 5 a.m. It's still dark outside. Headlights on the vehicle shining over the lawn. I'm out there cutting the grass in the dark with headlights from the vehicle just to get it done, just to get the account. And um, that account stayed with us the entire time that I had that business. Wow. Do you think that was a test or did he really need it done the next day? It could have been a test, but he needed it done. It looked it looked terrible. It looked so terrible. It, yeah, it <laughs> so needed to be done. The threshold of pain, being like, I need it done tomorrow. Did he have somebody not show up or something like that that it, it was left to go so long? Yeah, I think so. I think the previous lawn company he was with, um, the gentleman or whoever was doing it, had not shown up, and he had already reached out to somebody else who was you know, slated to come. Yeah. And so he gave me the shot and I'm thankful he did. Dude, that's so important. I'm sure you've learned this too, because here in the story, and this is why I'm extracting so much info out of you around this is because you're hitting on a principle in sales. That's a lovely T word. It's timing, right? Because it, and this is why sales requires so much consistency because you have to keep hitting them. You walked in there at the exact right time that they had a need, or at least they realized that they had a need because sometimes in sales, they don't even realize what the needs are. Right. And you have to try to sell them what they want in order to get to actually what they need, find their pain points, all the other stuff. But timing is so key when it comes to sales, because it might not be like you walking into that first account being like, yeah, I need it done tomorrow morning because I'm in a bind right now. It could have been, you know what, I'll look at this next season or next year or something like that. And that could be the right timing because he signed a contract, things were going okay already. And it's just not the right timing, which means your consistency and your follow-up has to come into play. But timing I've noticed in my sales career is one of the most important concepts that's there, which is why you can't just depend on just a couple of leads. You need to fill a funnel. Yeah, no, spot on. And, you know, Rick, I carried that that lesson, even though I didn't necessarily identify that lesson at the time, I carried that over into the actual, when I was growing the lawn and landscape company. And one of the things that we did for marketing in that company is every week we would go to a local donut store Yum. and we would buy yeah, dozens of boxes of donuts. And we had these labels printed that would cover the entire top of the box. So it was our business name, our logo, and our phone number. Um, and then what we would do is we would go around to businesses and we would leave those donuts for employees. For example, let me give you an example of a restaurant. So we would go in to the back door, the kitchen of the restaurant. So this would be in the morning when they're still prepping the food, they're cutting the vegetables, they're doing all the things they do to prep for lunch. And we would go in to the staff. We wouldn't ask to speak to the manager. We wouldn't ask to speak to the owner. We would just bring in some donuts, say, hey, we're here from the company, you know, the lawn care company. We wanted to bring you these donuts. We hope you're having a great day. Well, two weeks later, we would show back up the exact same thing. Brought y'all some more donuts. We're in the area, wanted to drop these off. Here's the amazing thing that happened, Rick. We created Salesforce within all of these different businesses where we brought donuts. So when the general manager came in, you know, three or four months down the road and walks in the back door of the kitchen and says, the lawn looks terrible. Have y'all seen the lawn guy? 
they would respond and say, no, we haven't, but there's this other company that comes by every two weeks with donuts. You should call them. <laughs> That's awesome. And by the way, they're good donuts too. Absolutely. Dude, the sugar rust is huge. That's cool. How you made, how you, you sold everybody, but the decision maker first is what it sounds like. Yeah, we did, but it, and exactly ties into what you were saying. We were top of mind. So we weren't there pushing necessarily our product. We weren't pushing, you know, when can we give you an estimate? We were there. Our label was on the top of the donuts every single time because we showed up consistently every couple of weeks. When that question came up or when the general manager walked in and complained about the way the flower beds looked or the lawn looked, um, we were top of mind. The entire team, whether it was a restaurant, whether it was a business, our name got brought up in those conversations. And so we couldn't necessarily show up magically at the right time, right? Like I did with that first lawn that I got. Um, but when the question showed up, when there was a complaint about that particular service, our name showed up because we consistently ingrained that into the team that was there. That's awesome, man. How did this transpire? When you started Ugly Mug, how long after this? I guess, how long did you have the landscaping company going? Sure. I had the, the lawn and landscape company for three years. Um, and it was during the course of that three year period, you know, it started from scratch, I grew the company to, we were one of the three largest in our region. Uh, we're in a small area, so it's not like we're in a major metropolitan area, but we were one of the three largest in this area. Um, and it was during the course of growing that company that a lot of our clients of the lawn and landscape company started coming to me and saying, what are you doing to grow? What are you doing to scale? How are you marketing your company? Can you help us? Yeah. And it was out of those conversations that eventually Ugly Mug Marketing would be born. That's awesome, man. How, what's up with the name? I mean, I, I understand what it is, but tell all of our listeners, how did you come up with Ugly Mug? Sure. So the name is actually inspired uh, from a quote by a gentleman of the name David Ogilvie. So David Ogilvie came over to the US back in, I believe in the early 60s, and he set out to build the world's largest ad agency. That was his goal. And within 15 years, he had accomplished that. Um, Ogilvie and Mather still to this day is in the top 10 in the world in terms of agency size. Yeah. But David had a quote in his offices that was this, I would rather you show me an ad that's ugly and gets results than one that's beautiful that doesn't. Yep. And so our name is really just a play off of that. It's, it's a center value of ours that we don't want to ever um, get you know, sidetracked or distracted by doing things that are just glossy and glamorous for the sake of glossy and glamorous. We'd rather something ugly but effective than beautiful or not. Well, conversion is all the freaking matters, right? When it comes to design, that's what we're all yeah. hoping for. Anyway, you could have the most beautiful ad design in the world, but if it doesn't convert, what's the point? Yeah, no, spot on. Man, so how quickly did you grow your agency? Yeah, so the, the agency itself um, didn't grow as quickly as I had hoped or expected. Um, so we're 13 years in. I would say that the first four years were painfully slow. Um, the next two years were moderate. And then, you know, the last six or so years, the growth has been very consistent. The last four years, fairly rapid growth over the last four years. Um, you know, just in full transparency, Rick, I would say that, you know, coming out of selling another company at a young age. Um, and again, it wasn't like this was some major 
Silicon Valley startup, you know, that sells for millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. It was a lawn and landscape company, <laughs> but having successfully grown and sold that company at a young age, um, and the growth of that company all stemming from really the marketing that we were doing, you know, I came in with a big ego. I came into ugly mug marketing thinking I've got this thing figured out. Um, people are going to, from you know the conversations I was already having, people are going to want what I can provide. They're going to want my advice. They're going to want my input. And you know, some painful lessons came out of that. Um, number one, that sometimes we need to learn to sell people what they want and give them what they need. Instead of trying to beat them over the head and convince them of what we believe they need and ignoring what they truly want. Um, so for me, that was honestly probably a two-year period of me trying to convince people, no, you, you really don't want that. You really do need this. And so I was fighting a lot of battles unnecessarily during those early years. Trying to, it's like force feed them certain marketing, right? Because yeah, I've noticed this too in my sales experience that it's very difficult. And this is why it's important when it comes to complex high ticket sales to uncover pain, because then that's what you find out. That's when you find out what they really want. It doesn't really matter what you came in the door offering. It, it, uh, it almost actually, I should say it never really matters what you thought you were going to go in the door and offer when you find out what they're looking for, what they want. And sometimes there's even a, this is a, called a loss leader, right? In marketing, you present something that actually might lose you money because it's what the, the, the customer, the prospect feels that they want and you'll sell it to them yeah. because it'll fulfill what the what they feel in that moment. But then through that sale, you can educate them and say, yeah, cool. We took care of you here. But then there's these other things too, that I noticed that are gaps or other things that kind of popped up during the process. So it's, that's important because the market might not be ready for certain things at certain periods of times too. Yeah, no. And, and for, for me, I was trying to push people, you know, if you think of the, the proverbial um, comfort zone, right? So it's a box or it's a circle that, that we all operate within. I was trying to push people so far out of their comfort zone that it was an immediate no, right? It was too far beyond what they had done in the past. It was too different from what they had done in the yeah. past. And so one of the things I've learned over the years is, you know, step one is we have to identify where someone else's comfort zone is especially when we're, we're servicing products or, or selling products or services that um, are maybe new or maybe different from what an industry or marketplace is used to. Um, step one is we've got to identify what that comfort zone is and then figure out how do yeah. we position our offering right within that threshold, like you were just saying. So then we can slowly work them outside of that into hopefully that new reality, something better, something different, something that they never, you know, quote unquote, imagined possible. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because when you're selling somebody what they want too, you have to create, and I'm sure you know this phrase, right? An irresistible offer, right? How do you come up with what that irresistible offer is? Because sometimes that eludes some individuals. You know, it's like, I don't know. I, I know what I sell and here's my check marks. Here's my features. Here's my, and then they just get lost in their own stuff. It's how do you create that irresistible offer? Yeah, there, there's actually a book out, uh, Rick, with that same title. I think it's The Irresistible Offer, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's been years since I've read it, but it's a great book. And I'm probably going to get this wrong, but he has a simple formula formula in that book for creating an irresistible offer. Um, part one is massive value. Mm -hmm. So in other words, 
no one's going to buy anything if they think that the dollars they're parting with are worth more than the benefits they're going to receive from your product or service. So the more you can skew that equation in favor of the value, the benefits that their dollars they're parting with are going to bring, the better. So number one, massive value. Number two is risk reversal. Um, How do we reverse any possible downsides from them pulling out their wallet, handing us money for whatever the product or service may be, how do we reverse that risk? How do we minimize the potential downside for them in that equation? Those are two important things. The reverse or the reversal of risk could be of something like a guarantee, right? And, and you see this, it's like, hey, if, I see this in the coaching business all the time, right? If you're not absolutely satisfied by coming to this event, we're going to refund you everything plus 10%. You know, that, yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. But then there's a lot of others that are like, hey, we're non-refundable. How do you do that <laughs> when, when it comes to that? And then I start to think of Tommy Boy. I don't know if you've seen the movie. If you're from the CD era, you should have seen Tommy Boy, right? <laughs> it's like it, I, I actually haven't, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the title. Like I could poop in a box, you know, and, and slap a label on it saying, guaranteeing that I got a guaranteed piece of shit right there. Would you buy? You know? <laughs> oh man, we need to come up with, we, let's reference that in the show notes, please. Because I think that needs to be part of every educational system is watching that movie. It's great. But you watch the sales in there and it's because the whole movie is really about sales, you know, and how he takes mm-hmm. over his dad's business and how he goes through this process, exactly what you're talking about. And, and he learns how to sell. And when he starts to actually dig deep into his heart and just present people what they want and do exactly what you're saying right here, reversing the risk and in a good way, and then just telling them, hey, here's the value I'm going to bring you, just massive value. That's when he starts to see people buy. It was a pretty accurate movie from a sales perspective, man. It was awesome. So if you have you seen it, please tell me. I haven't. Oh no, my God. Okay. It's on your list now, dude. It's Chris Farley. <laughs> One of the best, Chris Farley and David Spade. You got to go back and watch that. Yeah. I'll check it out. Cool, man. So uh, from what I hear, you're big into company culture too, right? I am. I'm a reluctant, uh, slow learner in that, that, that category as well, Rick. <laughs> you're, like, you're like pulling out all my, uh, my, the slow learning portions of my career. You That's know, it's like good the things though, man, that I'm so it, This is real with. life, right? Yeah, this is absolutely. how things are. And the only way you learn things is by actually doing them. And it, for a lot of times, it doesn't take a, I was at a Tony Robbins thing recently, and he said progress equals happiness. You know, it wasn't necessarily that the end goal when you actually got there, you can celebrate it. Sure. But if you look at it as saying, I'm still moving, no matter what speed it is, I'm still moving. That can equal equate to happiness for you too. So who cares about being a slow learner, man? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we take our lumps as entrepreneurs. It's a good thing. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you. Um, so, you know, the backstory behind that one, Rick, is um, I was part of a, a mastermind group a few years back, and I've always attempted to surround myself with others who are smarter, who are, you know, better doing things differently than I'm doing them. And I'd been a part of this group, and we met once a month for lunch. So it was a luncheon type of meeting. And every month they would present one core topic, and then everyone kind of go around the room and share, you know, their thoughts, how they're dealing with it, et cetera. And I had a friend of mine who'd owned a business. He'd grown it to the point where it was a, a crucial decision for him. It was either sell the company. He had somebody offer him some money for his company, or he could continue to scale that company, which would involve bringing on a lot of new staff, 
a lot of employees coming into the equation. And so I thought it'd be great to bring him to this event, get him around some other entrepreneurs who are at a, you know, a different level. And hopefully they would rub off on him and encourage him to continue down the path, to grow it um, so that it could sell for, you know, multiples of what it was currently worth. So we show up for the lunch. Um, he's the he's the guest. And lo and behold, the conversation that way, the topic that day was around your team and your employees. And so everyone, the first question is, share, you know, your name, your business, and how many team members you have. And so everyone's going around, it gets to the entrepreneur who by far has the biggest company. Um, and it's his turn. He introduces, you know, his name is companies. And he says, in terms of the number of people I have on my team working every day, it's usually about half of them. And so, you know, everyone erupts in laughter and, you know, it's this big joke. Well, for the next you know, hour and a half that we're there, everyone goes around the room and they share horror story after horror story about their team members, about their employees and about how, you know, they feel like they're constantly having to babysit. And it's just this, you know, think of all the worst case scenarios of people talking about um, their teams. That's what took place that day. Um, and so two things unfolded from that. Number one, my friend decided to sell his business. He's like, if these guys at this next level are, are still dealing with these headaches, these issues, I don't want anything of that. You know, I'd rather take the money part and go find something else to do. Um, but number two, it really calls me to start thinking, okay, I know there's companies out there where they don't have these same issues, right? Where they don't feel like it's constantly day after day, issue after issue in terms of their team. And so I became a serious student of figuring this thing out called company culture. You know, for, for the longest time, Rick, up until probably we were eight years in business, I believe that company culture was this like, you know, kind of touchy-feely thing over here. Like, you know, we've got other important things to do besides give credence to, you know, spending time sitting in a circle talking about how we feel or, you know, whatever these things were that I thought was true. Um, so for me, it was, it's been, honestly, it's been a four, four and a half year journey now um, with solid intention around figuring out this thing called culture. That's awesome, man. What was one of the biggest learnings that you've had? Because obviously it's not a, it's not people, you know, in a circle playing a guitar. I mean, I have guitars here and I play them here, but it's not, it's not what we do for culture. It's my thing, right? You know, what was one of the biggest learnings that you've had around culture? I would say, Rick, two things come to mind. Um, number one was really understanding the root word for culture comes from the same Latin word as cultivate. And so when we think about cultivating, that, that's typically a farming or gardening yeah. thing, right? We cultivate the soul. And so when we cultivate the soul, it, it, it's a constant thing. It's not a one-time thing and then we're done. You know, you don't plant your garden and then leave it alone for the entire season or the entire, you know, whatever season those, those crops are growing in, it takes constant effort to weed, to prune, to cut back, to cultivate, to fertilize, to make sure the soil is healthy so the plants grow the way they should. Um, so that would be number one, the notion that it's not a one and done thing that is gonna take continual effort and that it's gonna always be a work in progress. And then the second one was this, I heard a definition, um, I think it came from Chip Connolly, I believe is how you say his last name. And he said, culture is revealed when the boss is away. Culture is revealed when the boss is away. And so that really drove me down a different path. It drove me down the path to say, okay, 
I understand the way people perform, the way we behave, the way we act when I'm here or when another department manager is with the people on their, their team. But how do people perform? How do people act? How do we treat each other when, quote unquote, the boss is away? And so we've spent a lot of time and intention around building systems and processes to, to build out what I would call uh, self-accountable culture. And really for us, that has been the focal point that has been the work that we've put into our culture. That's awesome, brother. You've got a new book coming out called Full Circle Marketing, and you've had two books before then. What is Full Circle Marketing? Great question. What's the so, concept? Yeah, the concept simply this. Um, you know, salespeople, which I've been for my whole life, I still say I'm, I'm in sales. I believe in selling every single day. Um, and marketers, we both, salespeople and marketers, we both have a terrible habit of bringing people to the point of conversion, getting them to pull out their wallet and hand us money. And then we run on to go find the next person to bring through that process again. Full circle marketing says, you know what, when we get them to the point of conversion, when they've pulled out the wallet, when they've handed us the money, that is merely the beginning of marketing. Yeah. And when we are intentional after the sale, we can take ordinary customers and we can convert them into what I would call, what we would call evangelists. Evangelists for our brand, evangelists for our products, for our services, for us as salespeople, as individuals. Um, and so that's really what full circle marketing is about. It breaks down marketing into this circle that clearly shows you exactly what campaigns need to be run at each and every step of the process. That's awesome, man. And you're also talking about that dividing line too between front end and back end when it comes to the, you know, even the sales process. And the front end is what you were talking about saying, hey, that's where most people stop the transactions there and then it's done. But the back end, what you're talking about is nurturing that customer after the fact and then bringing them into other areas or products or services, the visions of your company that you may be able to offer them that you almost just forget about only because they went through a different door on the front end. You know, but then that's, that's really, serving them what is sales man if it's not serving people now that that's spot on i think you know part of you know so i was trained as a salesperson and so part of that is you know we view it as our job just to get them to the sale we we get them to you know sign the contract pull it the wallet hand us the money um but we all know so if you survey a room full of business owners or a room full of salespeople, and you say where do your best new customers come from the answer every single time is either referral or word of mouth yeah every single time and yet we give little credence we give little time little attention little effort to intentionally turning our customers into evangelists who will go out and tell others about us our product or services i love it man that's awesome brother so i think i need to subscribe to your blog too i'm going to be 250,001 at ugly mug marketing <laughs> but that's where we find you right uglymugmarketing.com this is wayne mullins or you can even look them up on linkedin at fire yourself that's awesome Yep, I'm there as well. I'm not not super active on LinkedIn, but um, you can find me there for sure. That's awesome, dude. What, you on Instagram? I'm on Instagram, um, Ugly Mug Marketing. It's just at Ugly Mug Marketing. Sweet. Personally, at Fire Yourself. Awesome. I love it, man. Thanks for being on today, Wayne. Good conversation, brother. Thank you so much, Rick. I've enjoyed it. 